The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrowband Broadcast Network, NBBN, The Focus, is on you by podsquadpdx.com painless podcasting and by the kind support of kyho fans everywhere via patreon patreon create on your own terms on this episode andrew gets us up to speed on his raging case of the cooties chris gets us up to speed on an old campfire standard and Dr. Mark gets us up to speed on, well, speed. Don't do drugs, kids. Them's for critters only. I'm your ever disembodied announcer, Michael Brumage, and I only do drugs on porpoise myself. Anyway, here's Andrew, Robert, Dr. Mark, and the kumbaya kid himself, Chris. And hello and welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott along with my good friend, Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson, and Christopher Vacano, and Robert Anthony. How's everybody doing, guys? Doing great. Quicker than you last time, Chris. In stride, right? Look at that. We, we beat the silence. <laughs> Just barely. It's like two crickets. Um, <laughs> Where are them crickets at? Right? Well... Listen, I'm going to take a quick moment here to just let everybody know that watched the last episode. Uh, the, the people who were listening on the audio podcast didn't get any of this because this was all visually reinforced uh, innuendo. Um, one of the four of us, who looks suspiciously like me, uh, went from the recording of our last episode to uh, deathly ill in the emergency room in less than six hours. Um, story goes like this after we were done recording, um, Robert and I, uh, popped out, uh, to the store, um, and, uh, did a couple quick things and I had started feeling pretty ill right about that time. Now, for those of you who don't know, which is the majority of you back when I was 15 years old, I broke my neck in a diving accident in my backyard swimming pool. And I was paralyzed for a number of years, and I, I made a very good recovery. I still have a bunch of gimpy issues that go along with this, but for the most part, I've lived a pretty normal life since then. However, there are a number of issues that come along with spinal cord injury, uh, most notably uh, bowel and bladder issues. And it's a not, a not infrequent problem for particularly women, but sometimes men, to develop bacterial infections and UTIs because of their condition. Now, I haven't had one of these guys since about uh, 1998 or so, but unfortunately, I also happen to not deal well with bacteria of any kind. I've been hospitalized a few times in the past uh, for bacterial infections, and this is exactly what it was. It was a straight-up bladder infection, good old E. coli bacteria, and I went from feeling okay to talking to my partner saying, yeah, maybe I should go and be seen to we need to go to the emergency room in about, about an hour. I went from a temperature of about 99 degrees to a temperature of 102 degrees uh, in, in no time at all. And the next thing I know, I'm being told I'm going to be here for a couple of days while they pump me full of uh, antibiotics, uh, via IV. I was in for about 36 hours and came home and I'm fine and everything's fine and the bugs are all dying and, 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 and everything's good, but it was, yeah, thank you for the modicum of applause. I'll take it. That's fine. Golf <laughs> claps are accepted. Um, but, uh, anyways, so what's been happening in the interim? Anybody got any, anything interesting to say? Yard work. Oh, yeah. Ty helped me rip out a big chunk of my deck yesterday. 
That was that was fun. That was fun. Destruction is fun. <laughs> uh, hey, Mark, you got an next one of those? Oh, uh, hang on a sec. What flavor do you want? Uh, give me the blue. Blue flavor. Yeah. Well, I mean, really. <laughs> well, you blue is a flavor. <laughs> Actually, let me put the uh, let me put the transfer thing in here, and we'll change this one. Okay. There you go. Thanks. Thanks. There you go. Look at how we take care of each other here. <laughs> Anyways, um, Chris, your uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about regarding uh, Chris and I and some of the things that we've been doing. We're not live yet, but we're this close but, to merchandise. Uh, we're we're working on the merch store, and uh, by by the time this podcast is live, hopefully the yeah is the that what we're shooting is open. that what we're shooting for. That is my personal target is right to have it all hooked up and, and ready to go. So if that's the oh. case, we should probably go back and do that again. Nah, it's all good. So you mean you mean our, our viewers and listeners can also keep their hats on while listening to keep your hat on? Exactly. With hats. Not just their hats. They can and, keep uh, their shirt on. Hats. They can keep yep. their pants on. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's uh, never fucking they can keep their leggings and, on. Exactly. And, and of course, it's it's no big surprise to our regular listeners. We're uh, big advocates for wearing a mask. You can now keep your mask, mask on. on. Yes. Oh, look at that. <laughs> because again, we're coming out of this thing. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but my kind of uh, my standard operating procedure from now into the future is going to be out in public, wear a mask, especially during uh, the autumn and winter. You know, and 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 if you're going to do that, make it a cool mask, right? Hello, <laughs> yeah. um, if such a thing were available, because then oh, what a world be, it would be! What a world it would be! <laughs> well, you yeah, know, you it's know, like last was it last year? You know, like the flu sort of disappeared last year. I was too, just right? going to bring that up. Yeah. It yeah. didn't kind of just disappear. That is the lowest level of reported standard influenza in the United States since before world war one yeah we almost killed it off we really did and actually they are thinking now that because of this weird kind of experiment that we've all had to go through as far as mask wearing and social distancing goes there might be a number of strains of flu that have been eliminated because of last year's masking uh and in, in addition uh i was um listening yesterday moderna is hoping to take the next step with their rna i saw that yeah uh, uh and actually include uh the flu in what will probably inevitably be a booster yeah either uh, a booster or a new essentially so a new seasonal cocktail yeah the way i understood it yeah uh, Moderna is 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 with that mRNA trying to be all inclusive, in that you get your booster for the the uh, the coronavirus, uh, as well as other coronaviruses. Well, and that's the big news that I saw is that the mRNA technology is now they're looking at it as a, and they're 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 in testing for this right now, um, addressing other types of cancer. Uh, exactly cancer yeah. i uh, i'm really excited right about, yeah i'm really excited about mrna technology it might be the way out of the wilderness for a whole slew of different things from cancer to um tuberculosis uh to mm -hmm. dengue fever um okay. all these things that have been really hard to treat with standardized vaccines the mrna technology might be a golden key into yeah. a number of communicable diseases well, and yeah and the thing to know and the thing to know and understand is is we've just we've just broken the seal oh, on it, mrna yeah i mean oh, this gosh. is this is new cutting edge and it is such a powerful tool to have in our arsenal now exactly so and i'm i'm excited about what the future might hold when it comes to treating like i say a bunch of things that we've just not been able to to really address effectively with standardized vaccines, partly due to how they're how they're generated, and partly due to the fact that lots of standard vaccines are more of a shotgun versus a fly approach, and mRNA technology is very tailorable. You can literally sit down at a computer. 
type in a few different keystrokes and completely tailor an mRNA solution. And, and target it. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, highly well, I specific suspect, targeting. I suspect that that um that tailor fit will not only be tailored toward a disease, but in the future will probably be tailored towards individuals. Towards well. individuals, exactly. They're going to be able to take your genetic profile into account and what you what you, what your body needs in order to make a vaccine successful. It will be tailored to you. Unfortunately, you a, go ahead, Mark. You say a Taylor Swifted mRNA? Is that, uh, <laughs> that one hurt. Just saying, that one hurt. Um, that banjo, that's that banjo uh, RNA I've heard so much about. It. <laughs> it's the, Na- the Nashville variant. Yeah, uh, uh, the Nashville say, variant, that's, yeah. That's, that's the RNA with auto-tune. Oh. Hey, it's getting worse. The, the Carter family <laughs> RNA never needed auto-tune. Uh, there you go. I, I agree with that. Well, I tell you what, folks, we're trying to keep this show really tight because we tried to keep it tight last time when we ran four minutes longer than our longest episode. So I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to rewrite back and we're just going to it's going to be light and fluffy all show long. So don't sweat it. We're not going to hit you with any philosophy. We're not going to hit you with uh, anything other than good times and laughs. And we'll be right back on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. That's Dr. Mark. That's Chris. That's Ty. I'm Andrew. I'm healing. Everything's fine. And we'll be back after this, okay? Hold on. We'll be right back. Really. You're tuned to NBBN. The focus is on you. Hey, everybody. Michael, your stalwart announcer here, the voice of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com slash nbbn, please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell your potted fern, about the show, and do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free, and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time. And we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now, let's get back to the show. All the munching. I can hear the munching. Welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat On on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends Chris Vacano and Robert Anthony and Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson. And Chris, you uh, got a little bit of a... Word salad. Word salad for us this time. What are you, what are you bringing in? So, so yeah, in the last week I was, I was in a conversation and it was brought up that, uh, I probably didn't know the meaning of the word kumbaya and well, I don't I, for the record. So wow. this is going to be a and learning I, experience I, or, or the origin. Um, and, and yeah, I was, so, so, so I'm going to set it up a little bit there. There are really two, two major components to kumbaya. There's the term itself and then there's the folk song, the, the, the folk spiritual. Right. Okay. So let's start with the term itself, and I'm just going to run around and do a quick polling of you guys, uh, and just in in your own words, you know, what is what is your interpretation of what kumbaya means? Yeah, I have no freaking idea. Zero. Yeah, that's no. why we're here in the crickets. I got <clears throat> well, nothing I've here. I've always gotten to this. Uh, I think in in media and uh um particularly movies we always get to this place of kumbaya is reconciling being good oh, very nice hippie mm-hmm. vibes good right. everybody vibe. coming together yeah, yeah. Right. yeah as, exactly. as both an explanation and a pejorative for that yeah, attitude exactly 
So it's not exactly. kumbacha, my lord. It's kumbacha. kumbacha. That sounds totally Vulcan. We will be so, getting so to mushrooms later. Go right, on, exactly. Go on, yeah, so we'll get to yep. we'll we'll bring the kombucha uh, into the discussion at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so so that is that is the perfect setup because that is is the it's 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 commonly embraced today in in mainstream vernacular as being sort of a pejorative, uh, a, a sort of a cynical take on uh, this naive idea of ignore our differences and come to compromise too readily, too naively, mm. um, it, it, not very practical. Like you said, hippie vibes, fluff. That was an idiom that, that came into uh, sort of our cultural v- vernacular in the 90s as a backlash to... The really big interest in that particular spiritual, and it was recorded a number of times by a number of high-profile folk artists, including Joan Baez, Pete Seeger, uh, and and so on, yeah. uh, during the 50s and 60s. Yeah, it was, and it was, it was it part was, and parcel of that whole ecumenical attitude that oh, yeah. came out of the, the 50s and well, the 60s and 70s, I should say, about, well, was, as you were saying, tied, looking past your was, differences and trying to find commonality. It was also tied very deeply into the civil rights movement yes. at that time. And so, and so this vernacular came out as a, as a backlash and, and really sort of came into the, into the common, common consciousness in, in the 90s. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, you know, I think that's kind of the way, and certainly the way I was thinking about it when, when I first started down this path of, of investigating and learning. Mm-hmm. What I uncovered is really fascinating. So, so we're going to start with the term itself, uh, because that's the easiest piece. And then, and then the folk song is, is uh, the origins. Uh, the story is, is just fascinating. Um, All right. So, so the term itself is actually, uh, it's from the, uh, the most likely explanation. Uh, and, and, and there's, I was just going to say, how much of this have you sussed out as being apocryphal versus? Uh, well, I, I'm, I was using Library of Congress as, as my research. Okay, so. no slouch. Oh, them right. again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, those guys. Fake news. And by the way, we, we will be sharing links to, to yeah, what I course, used as down my below. research. As if I'm, just getting back into the, I'm just getting back into the headspace of the whole fact-based universe thing. It'll take me, it's still going to take <laughs> yeah. me a year or two yeah. to get back. Right? right. Yeah. Anyways, Chris, on, press sorry. on. So, so, so the currently accepted thinking is, uh, and, and it's still a little d- difficult to prove, is that it originated, it's, it's actually a Gula term. Now, Gula is a dialect of English, uh, but it's also a culture uh, that emerged. Um, it's, it's, it's basically Gula or Geechee is the other term that's used, describe freed, freed black slaves who formed a community, formed a culture, and, and had their own dialect of English. Um, and, and they're sort of pegged regionally as being from um, uh, Cape Fear, North Carolina, mm-hmm. at the northernmost point, down to Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah, and so, then there's, so, there's some crossover and, in the Haitian community and the... Uh, and Bohemian. And, yeah, Bohemian, yeah. a little bit as far as Cuba and Hispaniola and all that business. So, yeah. And a little bit of that, yeah. I'm familiar, with, I'm familiar more with Gullah culture as far as its influence on food goes. I'm not super familiar with it as far as its yeah, impact Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, there's, there's Gullah Creole, yeah. and, and Gullah is, is, is basically a Creole culture yeah um and 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 so and and it's interesting within gola culture because they they even break down the identification more uh more deeply mm-hmm. that uh you know there's coastal lowlands who are who are termed freshwater geechee okay um and then there are the then there are the islands right uh the, the offshore islands and those are the saltwater geechee okay um but the language is generally the same, or the the dialect is generally the same across both groups. I'm going to I'm going to throw Gullah. one other little thing in here, just as an aside. If anybody is interested in in learning a little bit more about Gullah culture, uh, as it pertains to food, but it does 
delve in pretty deeply into a number of social aspects, look up the Anthony Bourdain episode on culture on his show. Uh, and uh, you know, we're, we're crossing over on a, a, the uh, third anniversary of Anthony being gone from us, and we're all very sad about that. But yeah, that's really one of the best points that I can think of to re- refer to culture. Anyway, so onwards, Chris. Sorry. Sure. Absolutely. So, so the term itself, uh, in, in the Gullah language, in the Gullah dialect, I keep saying language and I mean dialect because right. it's English, mm-hmm. uh, is, is actually come by here. That is, that is oh. essentially the meaning. And, and so when you connect that to the folk song, now, now we start to pivot over to... It's, it's a to, gathering call. To the folk song. Well, actually, come by here. If, if you think about it, uh, the, the song is, is Kumbaya Lord, mm, right? You're right. Um, it's an appeal to God to come help the, to help people in distress. Uh, and, and as you go through the song, you start to see that and you start to understand that, you know, this is an appeal. This is a come help the people that are suffering. Okay. Um, and, and, and if you think about it, that oh, yeah. makes now, a lot of sense. Now that sense. you mention it, it makes a fabulous amount of sense. Yeah. 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 Sounds I mean, right. it, it, it right? just, it's, it's incredibly logical. Okay. Now, now let's talk about the origins of the folk song itself, because this is where the story gets, gets weird, highly disputed and incredibly <laughs> fascinating all at the same time. And, and in a sense, it's kind of a quintessentially American story in one or two. Ways. Right. Start out. Um, who, who is, is most, who is most, who is most commonly credited as having written the song we're familiar with? Well, um, or is that already in dispute? I've, uh, that's already in dispute. <laughs> okay. I mean, that is, that is the crux of the dispute. Okay. Um, I, let me back into it historically. And, and so we start today and work our way backwards. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, the song experienced a huge revival during the 50s and 60s when folk artists took a major interest in it. And of course, today, actually stepping forward today, you know, it's commonly sung at scout camps, summer camps, uh, you know, Sunday school. Uh, you know, it's 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 used in a lot of places. Fire pits. Uh, it's around right. the campground. Uh, Drum pits. circles. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but uh, but but it really is very much an, a, a piece of American folk music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we start to work our way backwards, and uh, we we get to. 1939, I believe it was, or 1936. I've got to check my facts on that. I'm pretty sure it's 1939. Um, An individual named Reverend Martin V. Frey, a white evangelical pastor in the South, I believe South Carolina, uh, actually filed a copyright and claimed to have authored the song under the terms come by here, uh, okay. but the structure is the same. Mm-hmm. And his story is that the song came to him as part of a vision during prayer. And, and this is where it has a little bit of personal interest to me. During, during deep prayer, a vision of a street evangelist here in Portland, Oregon named... Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Named Mother Duffin. Uh, now I tried research. Forgive me while Duffin. I type Mother Duffin into. Uh, Google. I couldn't find a thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I think it's entirely made up. Right. Uh, you know my and 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 this guy is is sketchy as I'll get out anyway. Well, uh, you know <laughs> that he filed the copyright on on this on this sheet music, and and I'll get to why he's sketchy in a minute. But go oh, ahead, we Robert. already know why. A I sketchy mean, preacher. A sketchy preacher from the deep south that's evangelical? Come on, what could go wrong there? Stealing food right. from African American right. former slaves? Yeah, yeah. that's a stretch. Come on, there's never going to be a greasy crisp priest coming out of that area. Okay, well, so carry on, Chris. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, this is where it starts to get interesting. So, so we go backwards uh, further to 1926 hmm. and. Between 1926 and 1927, uh, the American Folk Archive was being set up, mm-hmm. and a 
uh, apparently a friend of uh, of the guy who was setting up the folk archive, and I don't recall his name, uh, was a teacher in North Carolina. Uh, and he had collected, um, he had basically, as it turned in as an assignment from one of his uh, African-American or, or black students, uh, she had written down the version of the song that she had learned, uh, you know, passed down through family tradition, and he he turned that over to the archive to be included in the archive. So, well, I so think I think when you're talking about the archive, I think you're talking about Alan Lomax's recordings. The archive of American folk songs. Yeah, that's uh, when Lomax uh, went out in the 20s and 30s and was recording everybody. Yeah. yeah, actually, I'm, I'm talking about the American Folklife Center, and it was formed. Uh, uh, let's see, it was. Um, I, I can't remember who formed it. Um, it. It's it's in the reading. It's in sure. the links. And again, um, links below. We'll we'll hunt it down yeah. after. Don't be lazy. So 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 they're pulling together all of this all of this folk material, and I, I you know my sense is as revealed in his actions, the school teacher was. His head was in the right place. He was trying to document and preserve a piece of culture, you know, an article of culture. And, and that was his only intention. He wasn't trying to lay claim to it. He wasn't trying to make any money off of it. He, he, he just wanted to make sure it was protected. Right. So he passed it over to the American Folklife Center as it was being built. Uh, so that's one piece of evidence that immediately pops Reverend Frey's bubble as far because uh, they're striking similarities between what this teenage student turned in and what Reverend Frey claimed was his work of authorship. Okay. Um, so wait, there's another piece here, of evidence. Why we're oh, here. Ahead. I'm sorry, Reverend. We just wanted to, I just wanted, so uh, uh, we had, we had Reverend Frey. And before that, we've got this kid that submits it. Do we know, is it still considered evangelical at this point? I wouldn't say evangelical at that point. I, I would say spiritual. Yeah. It, it, it was a classic black spiritual folk okay. song. So probably uh, a traditional song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, well, the, and, and that's and the part that I'm not hunting down yet is, is this, was this song based from a, an Afro-American spiritual or was it, penned by a white dude who was trying to what pass it off or well, you know yeah and 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 actually you know i skipped over one of the points in history that that also makes this question more complicated in uh the early 1950s uh the claim was made that the song was brought across from angola mm -hmm. uh it was brought across to america from angola uh, that was pretty quickly dismissed um, and, and disrupted. But at that point, you've got this battle between, okay, it's either an African song or it's a white evangelical song. Right. Right. And, and so, so we get into the 1926 evidence. We get this, we get this teenager and we get uh, another piece of evidence, which is a recording made in 1926 on a wax cylinder of a group of Gullah people singing it by somebody else who wanted to document, capture, and preserve. And he also turned that over to the archive. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a gentleman named Robert Winslow Gordon. Um, and he captured it. The cylinder's not very good. Uh, you know, it's a wax cylinder. It hasn't held up very well, but it, <laughs> like stands, they do. it stands as a solid piece of evidence that this song existed as early as 1926. So, we, so we, what we can sort of deduce from all of this is that this was a traditional Gullah spiritual folk song that was commonly heard throughout the Deep South in the lowlands and out on the islands, and... Uh, and 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 along the way through its history, people have tried to pick it up and 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 say this is mine. Right. Or, well, actually, people with differing agendas. Um, you know, there's the this is mine piece, um, and and I, you know, and I, you've got the it's it from fun. here piece, 
it's 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 actually it's 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 specific origin is just indeterminate. It, it, so who holds the rights today? I don't think um, anybody's got rights. It's, I, it, I think it, I think it's. I I so want to apologize for that. That's okay. I think uh, it's never fucking aliens, though. It's never fucking aliens. The 1930s copyright has expired. Yeah, it would have 70 years. Uh, And so it's it's now considered public domain. Right. When Um, does it start to get drawn into our contemporary public consciousness? That that would be in the fifties during the folk revival and okay. and, and this, the folk my question could and, also and be phrased as when does Pete Seeger get a hold of it? He gets a hold of it in uh, I believe he recorded it in nineteen fifty six. Yeah, sounds right. So so that's 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 kind of it in a nutshell. And and you know for me uh, one of the things that was really interesting in the research is I kept hearing references to this Martin Fre- Marvin Frey and. I, I went hunting for him and I, you know, I was like, I, I, because I had this suspicion, but it was never explicitly stated. Right. I couldn't find any pic- pictures of him. And I was like, my, my suspicion of course, was that he was a white man. Right. Um, and I, you know, a bit of my, my point of view is I, you know, I'm sure this is a white guy because that's that's American history. It's, well, and and that that is something that you know now in this day and age we're actually starting to get a, a much greater understanding of. And I know that there are many people out there who rail against this and 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 you know get dragged backwards by this whole issue. But what of our popular culture has been stolen or or misappropriated um or rock and roll yeah yeah, exactly the whole thing (laughs) all of it yeah right (laughs) yeah and i mean gosh if you really just want to talk about white music you are going to be one bored listener you know Mm -hmm. um but i i I think that this is a this this is a good thing that happens being able to look back and and really recontextualize things their origins and where they came from because I speak for me personally in that every time something like that happens, even to something that I thought was kind of set in stone as far as its origins go, when the real origins come out, I always find those origins much more rich a story. Way more interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah, than Alan Freed sitting there, you know, and I mean, don't don't get me wrong, Alan Freed's an important person in in our society and culture as far as popularization of music goes, but, you know, I always kind of think back to... uh the the living color song where they you know say they crowned elvis king but a white man taught him how to sing i'd much rather learn the reality of where things come from because then it broadens my view on all of my history and that's only good absolutely absolutely and 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 yeah you know as as we've discussed before the, the real story behind things is is just much more interesting and much richer and and we have more to gain by looking at that than the simple narratives uh you know and and how it went from uh, what what strikes me about this particular piece of music and and this this term is how it's how it's been passed off through all sorts of different sets of filters through time and it's gone from a place of an appeal for help, right, to a cynical jaundiced view about cooperation. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, you know, just, thanks, modern life. Yeah, it does sound yeah. like initially um, uh, it was an invitation. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, more than the end result. Exactly. Still, yep. Yeah. So. Well, um, you so, know, word salad, so word salad for word salad for is always a tasty treat. And with that, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about drugs. So stay, t- stay tuned. This is keep your hat on. That's Ty. That's Chris. That's Dr. Mark. I'm Andy. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. All right. I knew it. Go pee, my son. Alexa, 
Play the latest episode of Keep Your Hat On Podcast on Amazon Music. Here's Keep Your Hat On from Amazon Music. So that's a thing you can do now. Welcome back. This is Keep Your Head On, the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Christopher Vacano and Robert Anthony and Dr. Mark Peterson. And uh, Mark, uh, you stumbled over something here in the last couple days that kind of piqued your interest. Uh, and uh, where are we going? So as I always say, uh, don't do drugs, kids. I mean, don't do meth. <laughs> so what we found was... I stumbled on this uh, in the news of the weird where I sort of live. And <laughs> it turns out, and this goes back to actually 2013 was when they first noticed this. There was a BBC uh, like secret camera. They were studying porpoises. Yeah, it was in the pod, I think is what it was yeah, called. I'll put a link pod, down below. I, I yeah. remember seeing this, in fact, but I don't remember this episode. Right. And I'm just going to cut to the chase on this thing because there's no point in hesitating. Um, they spotted porpoises. Um, playing around with puffer fish and and so uh, for people who don't know puffer fish are about the size of your fist a little bit bigger and when they get upset or attack they blow up i think the most famous puffer fish was probably uh probably the one that they put on the simpsons but yeah anyway so they got a little spiky business and everything and they're like you know stay away from me i'm big enough that oh, you can't swallow now also famous also famous because um there is a sushi that gets made with puffer fish fugu yeah fugu. like yeah only like certain licensed sushi chefs are even allowed near this stuff because right. you get it wrong you kills you yeah all right so they noticed that these porpoise were like passing this puffer fish back and forth for like 20 or 30 minutes at a time. Now, porpoise, when they eat stuff, they're very efficient. They oh, yeah. Boom, chow down. Yeah, if you ever die. look at the mouth of a porpoise, man, that, that's, a, that's the business end of that mammal. Yeah, they know, they know what they're doing. Right. And so it, it, they realized after a while that these porpoise were actually getting high um, off the puffer fish by passing, and that's why they were passing it around like a joint back and forth <laughs> and they were just like puffer, they baby. Just chewing down and eating it they were actually like licking it and apparently something about the way they were handling the uh, fish um was helping get them uh smashed okay. yeah, I, on that. sort of like um, sharing I, the lsd sugar i want to know <laughs> yeah a very funny how they figured it out and why the puffer because the puffer is very very poisonous yes it is uh, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like licking toads for a while. You know, there was that popular. I'm not, not licking toads. Right. <laughs> there was that whole licking toads thing. And that's still a thing. Know, and you have to remember, porpoise are smarter than we are. Let's just face that. Very much well, so. Well, that's just what I want to say. I, you know, how the, how the hell does the puffer decide? Yeah. I'm not going to go full blown. I'm going to let you pass me around. Well, I don't think it has me. much by way of input in this dynamic because it's blown up. When a puffer fish is blown up, it's not particularly uh, agile or mobile. It is there. It's in a protecting oh, yeah. state. Yeah. So, but if you balloon. watch the footage of this, mm -hmm. what's really interesting is you can tell those dolphins link are below. being, yeah, link below. The dolphins are being very careful in handling gentle. this puffer fish. Gentle. Yeah, I would, I would go yeah. so far as to say gentle. Um, yeah. And I guess to use an analogy, it'd be like, Man, this is my best glass piece. Don't don't drop this. Well, I was you know, just trying to, out, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how you would say in porpoise, "Don't bogart that puffer fish." Right? <laughs> don't bogart my puffer. Pass it on over to me. Yeah, exactly. Is, Pass it to the left-hand fin. What is? Like, <laughs> if the uh, if the puffer wanted to, surely the puffer could excrete enough poison to actually kill well that's a question that deliberately now keep in mind first don't get to do that on purpose i i think so and actually if you watch the footage that we all watched 
um, at the beginning when they showed the shot of them getting the pufferfish, whether I don't know if it's in the middle of things or you can see the pufferfish puts out a, it's, I think it might be a pink cloud. Um, so that was obviously like an initial release of toxin. I don't know enough about, I am not an ichthyologist. I don't play one on TV. I don't know enough about how they deliver their toxins. If it takes them some time to, I don't know, set up a second dose or blast or whatever. But the other thing is that animals are very good at tuning or mother nature is very good at tuning an animal's biology to know when something is dangerously toxic and, and, and avoid now this goes, and this is the interesting part of this to me, this goes to, again, dolphin intelligence, which is so long and thanks for all the fish. Well, wait, 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 wait though. Mm. These guys have left the pod. These guys are the adolescents. These guys are the punks. <laughs> they really are the punks. That's what they made it clear uh, that, that these are that. young, young dolphins out rabble rousing. Yeah, you can so, see the piercings and tattoos. Right. On some of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that also part of me says, well, at least they're doing this and they're chilling out and they're not being rapey dolphins like dolphins <laughs> are want to be. They can be, it turns they, out. Yeah, they're really kind of dolphins. We anthropomorphize them because they have that permanent grin on their face and everything. They're kind of bastards. They well, can be the really douchey. One yeah. of the things that's missing from the storyline here is that this is tetrododoxin. It's called tetrododoxin. Yeah, tetrododoxin. And um, this is the stuff that can kill you and me pretty quick. But the line in, the, in all of the, every article I found, so this probably goes back to some original you know, uh, piece somewhere on the interwebs. Yeah. It says, according to experts, however, for porpoises, this has a narcotic effect when consumed in small amounts. Now, it's like I tried to look for who these porpoise high exports were can you imagine telling your mom that that's what you want to major in in college yeah but actually you can andy Uh, but um but um i wasn't able to find out who these experts are no and the thing is the the thing that I, i get and i got that from the the just watching the footage was uh, narcotic and small doses which is making me wonder uh because some of those some of those guys seem to be holding on to that puffer fish a while. So is it secreting a certain amount? Is it grabbing it at a certain time to get that certain amount? Or is it they they, they instinct? That's a question. Know. And the other thing is that there's a dramatic difference often when it comes to chemical compounds between oral ingestion versus yeah. uh, direct uh, into blood. Uh, system injection where they are not mainlining these puffer fish right exactly you know and and again it's kind of more like a puffer gummy (laughs) maybe uh you know the blood the the blood brain barrier the blood brain barrier is is significant (laughs) in all mammals that's one of the important differences between mammals and other animals is we have a blood brain barrier where our brain and our nervous system is uh, essentially isolated from the rest of our system and getting through that blood-brain barrier often is the difference between toxicity and mm-hmm. and psychoactivity. But this, your story, Mark, brings me to uh, uh, another little interesting factoid in the animal kingdom. I just and, have to express one more idea please. before we jump to yeah, some species. Is I'm trying to imagine porpoises snorting a puffer fish by holding it on the blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> can you I'm snort sorry, that was an image i just couldn't let no I, i'm anything. totally with you there that's fine um uh, onward yeah and so onward into the animal kingdom the in, in, in but yeah. we yeah inhalants yeah exactly they're now, huff, when they say they're, they're not pu- they're not puffer fish then they're huffer fish thank you the mammals for the most part are the animals that we zoologically understand have more sensitivity to psychotropic toxins or things that are ingestible um i i i I, there's there's a number of famous studies you know back in the 40s and 50s uh after the discovery of 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 lsd where they're giving lsd to like insects particularly spiders to see if it affected how they that's right they they did their they did their webs um, and we do know that for the most part, it is a it is a phenomenon that occurs in mammals. 
Um, and personally, my favorite, aside from there, and there's plenty of footage, we'll put some footage up uh, uh, down below, um, uh, of animals that eat um, rotting or fermented fruit that mm -hmm. get wasted drunk on... Like elephants, right? Famously. Yeah, the elephants do it. Um, a number of primates do it. Um, yeah, they'll get wasted drunk on the ethanol that has been created by fermenting fruit. And, you know, anybody anybody that was a very bored teenager teenager at one point in their life uh, probably has been exposed to somebody making hooch in a plastic bag uh, with a bunch of peaches and pears and, and wow. Um, there, there you go. Hard, was, hard cider. It yeah, isn't I was just going to say, I was going to call it the good old days, but there wasn't much good in those old days as far as that goes for me. But um, there are a number of animals that we are now understanding not only do this accidentally but as is the case with the dolphin and a number of others are actively seeking out things that uh. will have a psychotropic effect and my favorite link below and actually I'll, I'll i'll be able to fly this footage in here because it's it's freely available on youtube is <laughs> the beautiful amazonian jaguar the, the largest apex feline predator in the americas um, poetry in motion oh my god i could i love watching those things it is just nothing they're, they're that is that animal is creatures. nothing but business you know yeah. except when it wants to trip balls <laughs> and they discovered a number of years ago that jaguars in particular will seek out in the amazon a particular vine called yage and for any psychonauts out there in the audience, mm. you'll immediately go, Yage. Yage is a vine. It's very common in the Amazon. And it contains a number of harmala alkaloids. And harmala, we, if, you're, if you've done any herbalism here in North America, uh, we most notably get harmala from uh, Syrian rue seeds. And it's often used in tincture making because it is an MAO inhibitor. Um, and so when you, when you ingest an MAO inhibitor, it holds open the receptors of certain parts of your brain so that compounds that would not normally be orally active can be orally active. And it has its own effect profile psychotropically most notably as at, at high levels it's a deliriant at low levels it acts kind of like a sedative narcotic and as we all know if you live with cats if you live with any kind of cat uh, <laughs> um you got hairballs hairballs are not an accidental thing hairballs your pet will eat a number of things. My late cat Jasmine was a plastic muncher and would eat plastic. In, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Rob, you got plenty of stories. I know. Oh. Um, but they will eat a number of indigestible things in order to help draw up fur that they've swallowed and get it out of their system. Oh, and wild cats are no different. They'll often eat roughage and not only roughage, they will eat things that are peptically sour in order to force a regurgitation so finding a jaguar in the tropical jungles eating vines no big deal however the jaguar specifically will go out and find the yage plant and eat them hmm. and frankly lay down roll around like a giant deadly kitten <laughs> and flail all around and if you'll see here i'll put it uh, up right here um those eyes those eyes are of a cat tripping balls wow um and we've we have noticed that there are a number of other animals that do that have behaviors like this i think the the most notable one and this is still a area of some minor dispute among amongst anthropologists but most famously, um, caribou, particularly in Lapland, will search out the fly agaric mushroom. Now, the fly agaric, here's a, a picture as well, is that classic 
uh, toadstool that you will see in things like Alice Through the Looking Glass. It's the red cap with the white spots and it, you Mario know, Brothers. Exactly, the Mario <laughs> Brothers. And that, that'll take us down a whole different rabbit hole. <laughs> Amanita. Yeah, Amanita Muscaria. Also known as yeah. the Fly Agaric. Yeah. Um, I will say this without saying too much. I'm very familiar with this mushroom. Yeah, what a ride. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. The, it's it's the, a pretty hard. No, the <laughs> caribou will search out this mushroom, eat it, and flip their antlers. And it's one of the things that apocryphally, a number of people are thinking that might be where we get the idea that reindeer fly. Because one of the side effects of this is uh, uh, a very heightened sensitivity, particularly in the peripheral vision. Now, I grew up, and Mark lives in the land of hitting a deer in the wintertime with your car. Oh, yeah. One of the techniques that we were taught as kids when you're driving in the winter, especially in a good old driving snow, is if you're on a stretch by yourself where the road's nothing but culverts all the way down, going through fields... Flash your brights a couple of times, because if there are deer on the side of the road, they will see that shifting of their shadow, and it'll spook them out well in advance so you can hit your brakes in time. So you can hit them really good. No, I've, it, don't even say that, man. I've hit a number in oh. my day, and it's always no, it a trauma. it's not cool, dude. No. <laughs> it can't, yeah, it can't, it can't possibly. I think well, the technique works. thing for me is the, the biggest animal I've ever had the displeasure of hitting is a squirrel, and that is traumatic. I can yeah. only imagine oh, a several-pound, several-hundred-pound yeah, uh, and the last the last time I did it, I was really lucky. I had really good training, and my old man taught me, if you're going to hit him, hands at 10 and 2, and drive straight through him. Because as soon as you're on a snowpack road, and you're going left or right a little bit to try to avoid him, you are going to yeah. spin that car, yeah. and you will yeah. wind up in the ditch. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah. this, this sensitivity that they have to uh, light and shadow in their peripheral vision can be exploited if you flash your blinkers. But when it comes to this idea of flying reindeer, the fly agaric is a very, very powerful experience. They, these animals search this out, but if you're talking about um, caribou coming up close to a fire where the fire is moving and everything, sure, their shadows would be dancing behind them. The fly agaric is not a trance-inducing mushroom. It is a very stimulating mushroom. So I totally understand the idea that these caribou would see this and just jump, you know, and and literally fly. What One of the other interesting aspects, though, is that they're not doing it for nutrition. We know that because one of the things that happens when you're talking about psilocybin and the psychoactive compounds in mushrooms mm. is that our guts are very inefficient at pulling that material out of, I guess I'm going to say, your dose. So when you urinate it out, that your urine is psychoactive. You consume that urine, or I don't know, your friend consumes that urine. They're going to yeah. trip balls as well. There's plenty of party in your pee to go around. And we, trip before you did that. So we're going to split this, yeah. but here's how we're going to split it. <laughs> well, and there, there's, there's a number of, there's a number of shamanic traditions um, from Lapland all the way into uh, the taiga and tundra of uh, Russia where they do this. And the interesting part of that is, and this goes back to the reindeer Noah's up mm-hmm. is the reindeer will often, where a reindeer urinates, other reindeer will come and eat that snow, but... Oh, don't eat the yellow snow? Exactly. Oh, I man. wish I could put Zappa in here, but I can't. Um, but the other interesting thing is, obviously, the shamans learned this, and they will very often um, collect reindeer urine to go on vision quests with that. But the reindeer will follow the shaman when they're under the influence and peeing in the snow and the reindeer will consume the snow with the urine of the shaman in it as well. So the reindeer know what's going on. 
and they are actively seeking they are actively seeking out this altered state of consciousness and that whole thing goes and and we're going to keep this part really brief if anybody's interested in some interesting research from the past there's a guy who came up with the likes of uh ramdas and timothy leary back in the day named john c Lilly. And John C. Lilly was a very interesting dude, and interesting is both italicized and bolded in quotes because interesting don't cover it. But he did a lot of research back in the 50s and 60s trying to communicate with dolphins. He's also the, the, uh, the granddad of the isolation tank, the float tanks that are now oh, so huh. popular. He... Mm-hmm did research he he literally lived with dolphins uh not out in the water (laughs) he had the dolphins with them in a dolphin tank um he did some questionable research too where he he dosed dolphins with lsd and he would take LSD at the same time because he was convinced that LSD was opening up channels in the, oh, the so human psyche. To each other. Exactly. Yeah. So that maybe, I don't know, suddenly all the little <laughs> whatever the oh, dolphins man. do would actually suddenly make sense to him. Um, he died with some level of ignominity. Um, but what's interesting about him is that for all his weirdness and all the, and I mean, there was some shit that he did that was really, really, really out there. Um, a lot of his science and a lot of his research is still referred to the, to this day because he was the only one that was doing it. He was kind of doing it off the radar. He was affiliated with a number of research institutions for quite a while, including SETI, uh, the Search for uh, oh. Extraterrestrial Intelligence. He was a, a, a member of SETI, and SETI actually had, or has, I'm not, not entirely certain, um, an, uh, an internal order of people uh, of, I believe it was linguists and they called them the order of the dolphin. Um, so plenty of weirdness, uh, there to go down as far as uh, rabbit holes or I guess dolphin, mm-hmm. dolphin holes. No, dolphin. No, um, the blowhole, the blowhole. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's what we got for you today, folks. Again, we were trying our best <laughs> to be short on delivery today. Uh, but, once again, we want to take a minute to let you know that our merch shop is going to be coming online. And so hopefully by the time that you hear this, you will be able to go to kyhopodcast.com forward slash shop and start looking at all our groovy shit. And uh, the other thing is, if you've got ideas for merchandise that you want to see us uh, be able to offer out to you, Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com, but also do us a favor, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and of course, if you'd like to kick us a few shekels in order to help defray the costs of this this wondrous production that we do here, uh, you can always head over to patreon.com slash nbbn, link below. I just wanted to add on the on the merch shop, the the profits from the merch sales go entirely to my pocket help us cover the costs oh. of producing <laughs> <laughs> very funny under <laughs> my mattress of producing the show no exactly and that's what we're not here to be rich um you know we're floating the boat on this thing ourselves right now but any little bit that we get in helps and so yeah chris thanks for bringing that up uh you know we've got a couple paypal or excuse me we've got a couple of patreon supporters that are helping us out right now um, but we'd like to grow and we'd like to be bigger and better and have many more hats to wear. I've only got the one Fez right now, so I feel partially naked. But until next time, everybody, again, thanks so much for joining in. Grab your uh, hats, keep them firmly in place, and we will see you next time. Again, this is Keep Your Hat On for Dr. Mark and Chris and Robert. I'm Andrew, and this is Keep Your Hat On because we may end up miles from here. Thanks a lot, everybody. Take care, wear your mask, get your shot, be good to each other, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with podsquadpdx.com. 
Andrew Scott, Executive Producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, Associate Producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott. Available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. Out. Okay, Chris, let's do word salad first. I think we're just going to wrap okay. up the, the rest of the episode with nothing but animals on drugs. NBBN. The Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.